Good morning. Good to see you here this Sunday. Am I on? Okay, good. I guess I'm just talking soft. <laughs> uh, man, well, this uh, past Tuesday, my four-year-old John David had his first um, uh, soccer game, and uh, he did okay for a four-year-old. He didn't quite know what he's supposed to be doing. He did kick the ball a few times, um, but he, he really, you know, he's still, he's still kind of having fun out there. Uh, he spent most of the game talking to his teammates and other players. So I had to kind of let him know that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. I had to yell a few times. I'm not coaching him, actually, which is nice. And I'm old enough now to where I don't have to do that. So I uh, just say, hey, Johnny, don't make sure you follow the ball. So he would talk a little bit, and then he'd kick the ball, and then he would, um, there we go, thank you. He would talk a little bit, and then he would kick the ball, and uh, then he would also, uh, he would, in the second half, he didn't realize that they changed sides, so he was going the wrong way a little bit. At least he was kicking the ball and winning the battles, and then he would kick the ball to the sideline, and he would, multiple times, he would kick out of bounds, and then he would jump on the ball and roll around in the grass with it. Uh, which was actually a really, my wife said it was really a good delay tactic because they were leading. And so every time he would do that, it would take about a minute from the game time. And so it was a stall technique for him. To, so it kind of worked and they won uh, the game four to one, which was, which was fun for him to do. Um, but, you know, it didn't quite click in to him what exactly you know, he's supposed to be doing. It, it now, this is the first game. By the sixth, seventh game, he'll have a better idea. Okay, the purpose of this game is to score and to keep the other people from scoring. And, and every game he plays, he's going to be a little bit more, have a better idea about what exactly he needs to do. It'll click, and at some point, it's just going to be kind of, uh, this idea that I'm in a game, it's just going to be, it's just going to be activated, you know. It's, it's, at some point, it's going to click. But, you know, he's four years old, so we did a lot of laughing watching the game. But at some point, uh, it'll activate. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about activating something that we don't know we need until we need it. And that's this idea of spiritual courage. You know, we see uh, Christians all over the world who have courage, and we think to ourselves, gosh, could I have that same type of courage? Well, if you were in that same situation, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, I think you could. And I think you would if you had, were to activate the courage that God gives you through the Spirit. Today we are in Esther chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Read with me, please. On that day, King Ahasuerus, uh, some translations say Xerxes, I wish mine did, but mine says Ahasuerus, <laughs> uh, gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, and she fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews." And when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadetha, 
which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to come here and sing your praises. Lord, hear your word today and, 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 and hear from you. So Father, I, I pray that as I preach these and as I look at these words written on paper and, and, and electronic now, Lord, uh, that, that came from my mind, that you'll take these and that you'll make them your words and that your spirit will fill me in your preaching, that the spirit will, be, will, will receive it in this congregation today and that we will leave changed, understanding what it means to, to activate spiritual courage today. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been reading through the Bible in a year, like we do every year at, at First Baptist, and we've been going chronologically, and I had what I thought God impressed upon my heart last year, that wouldn't it be cool if I preached every week with the reading plan? So we've been doing that every year, or every week, because <laughs> it seems like years, every week, and we've been in the Old Testament all the way through nine months. So you have not heard a New Testament sermon based around New Testament passage for nine months. So congratulations. Anyway, anyhow. Uh, but that's going to change because in the fall, starting next week, we're going to be in the New Testament the rest of the year. And then all of 2024, we're going to learn about the life of Jesus every single week of the year. So that's exciting. And so we're going to go through that uh, next year. So anyway, uh, but for now, we're finishing the Old Testament. This is the last Sunday in the Old Testament. And Saturday will be your last reading in the Old Testament. And next Sunday will be uh, Luke 1 and John 1. And I'll have a passage, a sermon from there. Um, but the story of Esther today is what we're looking at. And the story of Esther is an interesting story. It actually has a lot of parallels to the story of Joseph in the Bible with Egypt. Uh, both were foreigners who were suddenly thrust into leadership positions. God's divine hand gave them opportunities to wield tremendous influence in their nation, in their culture, if they would activate their spiritual courage. And, and now we pick up in the middle of the book of Esther. So what has happened, if you haven't been reading along, what is the context? We're told that this man, Ahasuerus, which was probably a title like Caesar or king or something like that, that he reigned over the lands as far as from Ethiopia to India and everywhere in between. He was the major world ruler of the day as the Persians were the dominant world power. Now, they would eventually be supplanted by the Greeks who would be supplanted by the Roman Empire, but this is where we're at here in the 400s B.C., and as because, because he was a Caesar type of person, a ruler, he had a complete uh, autocratic power control. And he decided to have a feast that would last 180 days. 
Now, in Jewish culture, you'd have a feast for a wedding that would last a week. But this man wanted to have a feast where they would drink wine, they would eat food, and they would party for 180 days straight. Okay, you might have been to some parties or seen some wild scenes, but you've never seen anything like this. 180-day feast. And the purpose of this was not to display the glory of God. It was completely narcissistic and selfish. It was to display His own glory. For 180 days, we're going to eat, drink, and be merry so everybody can see how great I am. That was the reasoning for it. To make it worse, He told the people for them to do and act on whatever compulsion they had. Just do whatever you want. So it's going to be a lawless time, basically, for half a year. So it was an extremely morally wicked time. Now, at one point during the feast, the king summoned his wife, a woman named Vashti, summoned her to appear before him in his court, kind of his cabinet, his friends, and just kind of show her off. Now, we don't know what happened in the past. Apparently, maybe this has happened before because Vashti refused. She would not be made fun of, be made light of. She would not be an object for them to look at. She refused to uh, appear. And so because of this, she then was barred to ever appear before him again. This is the queen. And he actually then, the king, uh, passed a new law that now it was the law of the land that all women would give honor to their husbands at their command. Whenever a husband said, you are to honor me, it's the law that the wife would then have to honor them. So Vashti wasn't popular among anybody in the country at this point because of what she had done. The king then decided to, to basically have a beauty pageant to pick out his new, new queen. If this would be now, it would probably have been a reality show series or something like that. He paraded all these young virgins in front of him and did all sorts of things, and he chose finally the winner, a woman whose Jewish name was Hadassah. But she didn't want people to know she was Jewish for a lot of reasons. Uh, and basically her father who raised her told him not to tell, to keep that to herself. And we know her as Esther, a Persian name, Esther. Now, Esther became queen. And because she was queen, the man Mordecai, a family member who raised her, her both her parents had died, raised her as, as her own daughter, uh, as his own daughter. Mordecai then was around the throne and spent a lot of time around the throne. There was another man named Haman who was the second in charge, and he ordered that all men should, should bow down to the throne. And Mordecai refused that. He wouldn't do it because he was Jewish. He says, no, I only serve God. I'm not bowing down to any man. So Haman then a little uh, upset and embarrassed and came to the king and tricked the king in a way to say, write a decree, a royal decree, that all the Jews will be exterminated because of this man, Mordecai. They'll all be killed. So he wrote that decree, and uh, that was the law, that all the Jews would be exterminated. The king then had a change of heart, and he remembers that Mordecai had done some good things for him. He actually had uncovered a plot to assassinate him and, and, and was sorry for what he had done because, because it was an edict that could not be reversed. Not even the king himself could reverse this edict that the Jews were to be exterminated. Right? Esther then has courage and comes to King Haman unannounced, which was against the law, and, and, and told the king that Haman's plot 
to actually kill Mordecai and all do these things. Well, then uh, the king sided with Esther and hanged Haman on the, on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai. And this is where our story takes place. The immediate threat of Haman has been disposed, but there's still this edict out there for the Jews to be exterminated. What are they going to do about that? Esther is in a position to help her people, but how is she going to do it? And this is where we pick up. So today I want to give you three attributes of spiritual courage we see in this section. Three attributes of spiritual courage. Number one, it takes spiritual courage to wait. To wait. Now if you know me, you know I'm a very patient person. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't like to wait on anything. I like to get it done as fast as possible. You could even say I have ADHD, although I don't know if I do. But I don't like to wait. Now, I've gotten better at waiting when I get older, right? And I think that's, I hope that is a, a sign of spiritual maturity of God changing my heart. I get a little, I've gotten better. But it takes spiritual courage to wait, especially in the face of extreme danger, which we see Esther in. Verse 1 says that that day that the king gave to Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, Right? And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. So, so now this is the guy, Mordecai is now second in command because Haman has been killed. Esther had waited for the right time to come to the king to speak to him unannounced. Now remember, this was the same man who disposed of the former queen because she would simply not appear before him because she embarrassed him, and unannounced visits were punishable by death. But Esther had no choice, but she waited for the right time to approach the king. Then he gave the, the, the king's right-hand man, became Mordecai, and she approaches him again, doesn't wait any further, realizes this is the time to go, and she visits him again. Verse 3, she spoke to the king again. Because remember, she's got to figure out, how can we save my people? How, how can I save God's people? This edict cannot be reversed. So she fell at his feet, wept, pleaded with him to avert the evil plan. Right? Verse 4, and the king held out the golden scepter to Esther. She rose and stood, and here's what she said. She said, if it pleases the king, if I've found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and if I'm pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite. Now she knows that it's not possible for this to happen, but she's asking for it anyway. She says, verse 6, For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Now, Esther gives a master class here of how to ask for a favor to a man who is evil and insecure. <laughs> she takes the way that maybe you wouldn't take it. She does so with respect. This was supposed to be the man that was feared and respected by all, but he was very uh, uh, immoral. She does it with respect. She does it with humility. She doesn't demand and she is his wife, right? She does not demean. She's polite. She's courageous. But she doesn't beat around the bush. She gets right to the issue. 
She asks exactly for what she needs. Politely, nicely, courageously, and explains why it would affect her. She says, I can't imagine, please reverse this. If you love me, if you're pleased with me, I cannot see my people suffer this. Right? Verse 7. Hasserah says this, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they've hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. He says, verse 8, But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and seal with the king's ring cannot be revoked. He's saying this, I cannot revoke what I've done, but I can give you the power to make a new edict. What's that edict going to say? We're not real sure yet. We don't really know. right? But she waited for the right time to ask the first time. Then she struck immediately and she asked again. And it worked because she had courage in waiting because God was behind her request. Now, there's, the Bible has a lot to say about waiting for him in the right time. Look at Psalm 37. 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know, waiting to me already assumes that it's going to be patient, right? So this is kind of doubling down on it. <laughs> Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Don't worry about the evil man in your life. Wait patiently on God. I wonder if Esther and Mordecai prayed this prayer, <laughs> prayed over this verse. They had the psalm book, I'm guessing they had it, that David wrote. Before they displayed their courage, fret not over the man who carries out evil devices, but be still and wait patiently for God. Look what Isaiah 40, 31 says. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Not hummingbirds, eagles. Big wings. And they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, sometimes I look at those little four-year-olds and wish that I could run that far and not faint. <laughs> you know, we, we, put, we put him in soccer so he'd get his energy out. It didn't help. He told us he was going to play soccer, by the way. And he told us he's playing t-ball in the spring, so he has his whole life planned out before him. Right? But it didn't, really, it didn't really make him tired. He's not growing weary. And this is saying that when we wait on God's timing, when it's God's timing, God then renews our strength in his timing. He, he allows us to mount up. He renews our strength. We will walk and not have faint. We'll have the spiritual energy to keep going because there's some times where you have nothing left in you. You have no physical energy. You have no mental energy. The only thing that's getting you up and getting you through whatever you're going through is the spiritual energy of the Lord that he gives you. When you're facing extreme problems, and Esther and Mordecai were facing this, and they were weeping, and crying over it. And they had to wait for the right time to approach this man who they had who was completely unpredictable and had no idea what he was going to do. I had a boss like that before. You ever had one of those? Just never knew what he was going to do. You're always on eggshells. Right? They had to be patient for that. Jude 1 20 says this in the New Testament. But you, beloved, Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We're called to wait for the mercy that Jesus gives us. It takes spiritual courage to wait. All right? Secondly, it takes spiritual courage to trust. That's what our faith is. That's what the Christian life is. Trusting God daily in our decisions. Not trusting ourselves. Not necessarily trying harder. Not necessarily doing better. Trusting in Him. Look at verse 9. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan on the 23rd day, and a new edict was written. Remember, Mordecai has the power here now. A new edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. We have 50 states. They had 127 provinces stretched over land, probably about as large, if not larger, than the United States of America. And they wrote this to each province in its own script, to each people in its own language, and to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, because he had the authority to do so, and he sealed it with the king's signet ring. Now remember, the king had written an edict that said the Jews would be exterminated like a holocaust, so to speak, that could not be revoked. But now a new edict has been invoked. This is the hope of the Jews. What did it say? How did God move in the life of Mordecai to write this edict? Look what he said. Then he sent letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud. And here's what it said, verse 11, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives. To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. He said, we can't revoke the edict, but now I'm making it legal for you to defend yourselves, to kill if you have to. Do whatever you can to defend your families and your children and your women. He's saying arm the kids, arm the women, arm everyone. If there's going to be an extermination of the Jews, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be a battle. You're going to be able to defend yourselves. Anyone looking at doing evil to the Jews would now be faced with stiff, legal opposition. Now, they didn't want to fight, but they certainly didn't want to be exterminated. Amen? So they had to muster the courage to trust God's plan, even working through Mordecai and this royal edict. Verse 13, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all peoples and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers are mounted on their horses. They were used in the king's service. They rode out and they urged the command and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. This was now, it would be a breaking news Newsflash. It would be on social media. It would be everywhere. It would hit immediately because this is, of course, the government getting this out. But this is God's plan. 
you can defend yourselves. Now, this doesn't sound like a fun thing to do, but it's better than doing nothing. Do we have the courage to trust God's plan in our lives? Especially when there's option A and option B, and they don't seem, neither of them seem that great. Wouldn't be what we chose. Even when, there, when things seem like there's no way out, when things can't be reversed, it takes spiritual courage to trust God's plan and not to try to do things on our own power. We see this all through the Old Testament. Anytime the Jews tried to do something on their own power, they would lose. But when God was behind them, they would win. Look at Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It doesn't matter how many horses you have, how many chariots, how many tanks, how many F-35s to get lost. Right? By the way, if, if, if an F-35 can get lost in Williamsburg County, you probably can too, so be careful when you drive through. <laughs> do, we put our, do we put our trust in those things? Or do we put our trust in the name, the character of God whose ways are not our ways? Look at Psalm, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. It doesn't matter if you get it or not. It doesn't matter if you understand it or not. You still trust in the Lord. Does it make sense? Trust in God. I don't quite understand. You don't have to. Trust in the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Esther and Mordecai had no idea how God would make this right. They had no idea how God would protect them specifically, but they knew if they went to the man, the king, who had the power to make the decisions, God could influence him, and God did. This is why we need to always pray for our leaders. Amen? Pray for our mayor, our governors, our senators, good Lord, our president. I mean, that they can think correctly, that they can think right, that they can make good decisions. These are people with as much power as we'll give them. We need to pray for them. We don't have to like them, but we need to pray that God would be working through them. Amen? I mean, if God can work through this man, Ahasuerus, probably one of the most wicked, self-centered leaders ever, he can work through anyone, and he can put Christians and believers in places of government where we couldn't even imagine. He's done it before. When we trust God, he makes what seems like a crooked path straight. For Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. See, when we fear people, we're more worried about people, even powerful people that can hurt us. It says that we lay a trap for ourselves somehow. But by trusting in the Lord, somehow, some way, it, it leads us to safety leads us to safety. It takes spiritual courage to trust in God. And three, it takes spiritual courage to celebrate. This is actually a funny passage here. Look at verse 15. Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown. He came out dressed like a king, right? Fine linen and purple. 
in the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. You can defend yourselves. They acted like the battle was already won. And they had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province, verse 17, in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. Now again, the edict wasn't reversed, but they had, they had hope that they could defend themselves, hope that they could be on the proactive, hope that they could do something about it, and they rejoiced about it. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Oh, we're Jewish too. <laughs> oh, we're Jewish too. Hey, sometimes it's going to be popular to be a believer of God. And it's all based on how the politics turn. God's true people believe God. True believers are believing God when it's cool to be a Christian. And when it's not, amen? All of a sudden, the power changed. Now, the Jews were essentially running the country, right? Oh, we're Jewish too. Are you really? It takes spiritual courage to celebrate. And they celebrated. And the celebration is you affirming that God has done something great. When we come in here and worship and we get overcome with emotions, we raise our hand, or if we do like this, or whatever we do, or if we just close our eyes, whatever it is, we're affirming that God has done something great. And it takes courage on some level to admit that God has done it and not something you did. And it takes courage to celebrate when the battle hasn't even been fought yet. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know if they are going to be giving their four-year-old the sword or not. But they celebrated like the victory was already over because it was. Because they knew that God was behind these things. What's the Bible say about celebration? Look at Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I remember when I was a little boy, I'd get out of the bath. My dad would bathe me or whatever and put my pajamas on. In the morning, sometimes he'd wake me up. And he would sing this song to me in the morning. <laughs> right? I guess he made the tune up. I don't know where he got it from. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Sunday school song. You know, it's not just a wake-up song. It's a reality. This today, September 24th, 2023, is the day the Lord has made. Why are we not rejoicing and being glad in it? This is the day he's made. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you ever come to me and say, what is God's will for my life? I will give you about five or six verses that say specifically, this is the will of God. And this is one, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. It takes courage to be that way. Because the world doesn't want you to do it. The world wants you to worry and to fear and to think, well, this conspiracy is really happening or this is happening behind the scenes and you have no power, you have no control, and the world's getting worse and worse. We live in this horrible situation. Hey, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that, that I know who is actually really controlling the world, and that is God. 
He is sovereign. He holds the whole world in his hands. And he, with a snap of his fingers, can make any change he wants to. We don't put our fear in man. We put our fear in God. Unless we really believe he's not in control. That's a whole other sermon. Romans 12, 12 says this. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. They celebrated this day, the Jews, because for the first time in a long time, they had hope. You take someone's hope away, you take a lot away, a lot of stuff away from them when their hope's gone. But with Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for us on the cross, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, we have a hope that is everlasting. Amen? It takes courage to celebrate that in the face of what we go through on a daily basis. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. And Lord, we're not in a, in a world that, in a situation that resembles Persia. Sometimes it feels like it. Sometimes it feels like we're swimming upstream with our culture. We're able to worship freely. We appreciate that blessing, that benefit. And Lord, you want us involved in our culture and you want us involved in government and pray for more believers to be so. Because Lord, your welfare is for your people. Uh, your will is for your people to thrive. And you've told us we'll have tribulation. But your plan is for your people to reach the world. So, Father, if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, never trusted you for salvation, that today they would do so. That today they would give their life to you, that you would come to their hearts, you would save them, they'd be born again. And they would rejoice in the hope that you give them. Father, maybe there's one in here today that just needs to pray. They just need to come down to these steps, just spend time with you today, Lord that they would have the courage to do that today. Just have that blessed time with God's people. No judgment, just celebration, Lord, that people are worshiping you. Father, maybe there's someone that needs prayer. I'd be glad to pray with them. Whatever it is, Lord, that they need, that today they'd have the courage to give it to you. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.